Welcome to Studying the Song, a podcast to help musical theater actors figure out what to sing and how to sing it so that you shine in your audition, one-woman show, or leading role. My friends, talent and passion are only the beginning. I believe there is freedom in preparation. I believe that when you put in the work, practice the skills, and do the research, something amazing happens. You become so prepared in your craft that you become unstoppable. In this podcast, I want to give you the tools and skills to create a powerful audition book that showcases your artistry and actually gets you work. I want you to feel totally at home reading the musical score of a show, and I want to help you define your unique artistic voice. Consider me your own personal vocal coach in your earbuds, cheering you on and bringing you the reality checks you need along the way. I'm Corey Yamaoka, and I'm so excited to be walking this journey with you. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Studying the Song, where we're talking all things auditioning and vocal styling for musical theater. I'm so glad you're here and that you're investing this time in working on your craft. I know that, um, you know, it can just be hard to fit daily practice into our schedules amidst all of the other responsibilities we have. And podcasts are awesome because, you know, it provides a way to be listening and honing your craft while you're doing other stuff. So, You might be on a run, or you might be driving in your car or cleaning, wherever you are. I hope you can just take this time for yourself, focus on developing your own craft and artistry for the next 30 minutes or so. So welcome. Before we dive in, I just want to give a quick shout out to one of my listeners who left a review on Apple Podcasts. You guys, I value your feedback so much because it helps me know like which areas of, you know, musical theater, auditioning, vocal work, all that, what you're interested in and what you want to work on more. So I'm going to start featuring listener reviews as a huge thank you for giving that feedback and helping this podcast become, you know, a better resource that will help more singers. So today's shout out goes to Taylor B, who says, Excellent resource for vocalists. Corey is a fantastic host and knows so much about musical theater and vocal performance. Give this podcast a listen. Thank you, Taylor, for those kind words. I'm so glad you found the show helpful in your vocal journey. Um, All right, let's go ahead and dive into the show. Today, I want to talk to you about auditioning for rock musicals, and this may not be what you would expect. We're not going to talk about which songs you should sing, or even how you should vocally style them, or what artists to listen to, any of that stuff. I want to talk about something deeper and more instinctual in your audition. And I think it's something that has is not addressed very much by coaches in this industry. At least I haven't come across it um, when I've been working with singers or attending master classes or that kind of thing. And the element it's, it's sort of an undercurrent that goes, you know, throughout your audition. It's a mindset and it's a worldview. I'm going to elaborate a lot more on it within this, you know, within this podcast, but let me just paint a scene for you and see if you can identify with this. Let's say you are directing rent and you're behind the audition table for the first day of auditions. And a gal comes in the room and puts down her music with the accompanist and proceeds to sing Barracuda by heart. And you think, well, it's a little predictable of a choice, but it actually fits the show really well. 
She sings well. She hits the high notes. She styles the rock isms. She stays with the pianist. And then she has like a nice kind of street looking outfit that fits a rock musical audition. You look down at her resume. It's clean. It's easy to read. There's lots of good regional credits. And there's even some people that you know on that list. So that gives her a little bit of more um, credibility. Then she leaves the room and you promptly move her resume into the maybe pile, the dreaded maybe pile. I have seen this happen where someone comes in and it looks like they have checked off all the boxes and then the people behind the table put them into that maybe pile. You know, they're talking about yeses and nos and inevitably there's a singer that's just sort of neither here nor there. They're okay They fit the stuff, but they aren't that screaming, yes, I've got to have her in my show because she's going to kill it. And she's not a screaming, no, definitely not right for this show, but let's remember her when we do She Loves Me. The singer has plenty of good qualities, but it's just like there's not um, an identity. There's not an ownership of the material that shows who they really are and that they fit the material really well. So they become a maybe. And my friends, you do not want to be in that maybe pile. You don't want to be neither here nor there. Um, It's like when you go to Chili's, you know, that restaurant, like, is it Mexican food? Is it American food? What is it? I don't know. You've got to be one thing and be really good at that. Um, Dolly Parton would say, you've got to find out who you are and do it on purpose. So you've got to be you to the 100th degree, like the exponential version of you, the over the top, no apologies version of you. You amplify your quirks, you play up your vocal uniqueness, um, but you don't make yourself middle of the road. Don't be chillies, y'all. You also want to dare in these auditions to alienate and turn people off. That's okay. Show them that you're wrong for something. Because the flip side of that is finding the people that see how perfect you are for their show. Like you're so you that there's no one else that they could imagine filling the role but you. Does that make sense? Like alienate them and be perfect for something else. Don't just be not quite here and not quite over there. Okay, sermon over. Let's get back to the missing ingredient in the girl in the rent audition. She made so many of the right choices. She had the look. She had the song, she spoke well with the accompanist, she had her resume together. So what was she missing? Well, I think there's an extra something that a lot of singers never quite dial in for their rock auditions. And, um, you know, for lack of a better word, I would call it attitude. And I'm going to use that word throughout this podcast sort of to encompass a larger concept. Um, But yes, attitude. This is that primal, that deeper, that instinctual element that I was talking about before. You know, there's something when you listen to an artist and it draws you to them. And then there's other artists you listen to and you're not drawn to them. You say, oh, that's not really me or that's my thi- not my thing. Um, I don't really identify with that. But there's other people that you do identify with, right? And that's when you become a fan. You start listening to them. You buy tickets to the concert. You buy their music. um, And you say, I like what this artist is about. And I want my life to be about that as well. 
this thing, this connection that you have, this identification that you have with them is based on sharing the same world view and based on sharing life experiences. It's like you go to a rally for something and you show up and you're like, hey, this person, they're, they're holding up the same sign that I'm, that I'm holding up. You know, they're here supporting the same cause that I'm supporting. They have the same belief that I believe. And then you can raise your banner together and say, this is who we are. And it's this banner that is the missing ingredient, the banner of your attitude, of your worldview, of how you um, go about your everyday. In regard to our music, specifically when we're singing, I, I hear people say like, ah, oh, well, this needs to be more angsty or sexy or groovy. As, you know, they're, they're trying to get at that attitude, that primal undercurrent through those kinds of words. But I just find that they are sort of surface descriptions of what's going on in a deeper way. Like, why are you feeling angsty? Why are you feeling sexy? Why do you feel groovy? That's what I want to get at. And that's that that attitude, that raising the banner together idea. So let's unpack this attitude thing, this banner holding. Let's let's dive in a little bit more. When I say attitude, we mean the way you view the world. How do you walk through your life every day? Your demeanor, your disposition, the way you interact with the world. You know, what's on what's on the sign that you're holding up? What does it say this is what I stand for? In psychology, when you're talking about someone's personality, there's this idea of nature versus nurture. I'm sure you heard it, heard of it. The nurture part of your personality comes from influences outside of yourself. So the time in history that you were born and the historical events that coincide with your life, the adversity that you've faced, or you know, on the other end of the spectrum, maybe you've had a lot of care and abundance that you've experienced. Um, It includes the way your parents raise you, the teachers you've had, the cultures you've experienced through traveling or just what you're born into. There are different laws in place, different rights or lack of rights. There are different wars going on in the world. There's different technologies that you have access to. All of these nurture you in a certain way. They're outside influences that um, that will help determine kind of who you are and how you see the world. But everybody also has a nature part of your personality. This comes from, or these are the innate personality traits that you're born with. Not everything about who you are is a result of what you're born into. Some of it is inside of you already, okay? Not your surroundings. These include your interests, certain inclinations that you might have, um, your natural demeanor, the tendencies you have towards certain emotions. Um, You might be bent towards more logical interpretation of the world around you or a more feelings-based interpretation of your surroundings. All of these things come with you. Like they're, you know, part of the, um, the stock, the stock item. And then what happens when you get into the world is all of those outside natural influences start to come at play and you start to develop in different ways. And that's where you become more nuanced and a a product of your environment. So when you put all of that together, you get you, the unique sum of personality traits that sets you apart from everyone else. All these influences work together. Listen, this is the important part. 
to create your beliefs, okay? Your beliefs about yourself, your abilities, your value, and your future. And they also influence what you believe about other people, their abilities, their value, their future. These influences, you know, they, they create the way you react to things and the energy that you bring into the room, your whole outlook on life. Like, are you someone who is a dreamer and you dream up possibilities really easily? Do you see the world as your oyster? Or have you had your dreams and your hopes beaten down and your resources taken from you and now you see the world as your enemy? Those are two very different outlooks. Okay, now what does this have to do with pop and rock music and your audition? As I said before, in your life, you will meet other people that have similar experiences and similar innate traits as you. And when you meet these people, you feel that connection. Some people call this like resonance, like your actual physical vibration is resonating with them and you're drawn to them through that coincidence of vibration of through that resonance. Okay. These are the people, as I said, that are marching next to you at that protest rally. They're holding up that banner that has says the same thing as you. And when you find someone like this, you invite them to a barbecue, you become friends, or you hire them for a job, or they're an artist and you purchase their painting, or they're a musician and you buy tickets to the show. You share that worldview. Pop rock artists become popular because they express the attitudes of certain groups within that generation of people that are growing up and listening to their songs. You know, when you are in your teens, it's like one of the most important times developmentally, you're distinguishing yourself from your family and from your parents, and you're trying to figure out your own identity. And the music you listen to is one of the most common ways that you establish that identity and that separation, or I think it's called differentiation. That might be the psychological term. Um, So the kids are the kids. I mean, the teenagers, the young people, however you want to say it, like when you're at that time period, you're listening to these bands and you're saying, that's me. I'm raising that same banner. And through listening to that music, the kids, the young people, whoever, they express their emotions and they use that music to create that differentiation. And the pop artists kind of become like a channel through which We have a voice in the world. And you, as a singer coming into the audition, singing a radio hit from a pop artist or a rock band or whatever it is, you've got to remember that you are a channel for other people to experience the world through, for other people to say, that's me. Does that make sense? It's like when you are singing that audition, you're acting the part of that pop artist You're becoming the voice for each person in the audience. You're raising the banner saying, I see the world this way, and then trying to get everybody who's listening to you to say like, yes, I'm there, or no, that's not my thing. I'm going to go find another artist, right? And too often the singer in the rock audition is just saying, I can sing these notes or look at my leather jacket I'm wearing to these auditions. And there's no actual connection to that underlying attitude, that underlying worldview of the artist that they're singing. That's where the disconnect happens. It's like they don't even understand what banner that artist is raising, what's on their protest sign. So how do you know, how do you figure that out? How do you know which attitude your rock song needs to embody? Well, I like to think of them as being 
in like five basic categories, like five main banners. If you had to go and you're like, this is me, there would be sort of five umbrella categories for the most common pop rock attitudes. I'm sure there's more, but this is just like the basics I'm thinking of. So I'm going to talk to you about each of these attitudes, each of these banners that you could raise up during your audition. And I'm going to give you a list of like inner monologues and thoughts and phrases that could be the subtext running through your song. And these inner monologues should be running through, um, you know, as you're pumping your fist or you're boogieing down or you're showing your angstiness through your high belt or whatever. Like there is the deeper element that goes underneath it all. Okay. And remember, these are attitudes. They are ways of seeing the world. Um, They span genres. So it's not like one attitude is going to be all R&B and another attitude will be all punk music, right? These attitudes exist in every generation because there is a multiplicity of experiences in every generation. So you are not the first generation to have rebellious songs or sexually magnetic performing artists. It's just a matter, matter of whether, you know, that rebellious singer is someone like the Ramones or Pink or Billie Eilish. Those would all be sort of rebellious singers. Or is that sex symbol Elvis or is it Blondie or is it Ariana Grande? Right. Okay. So let's get into it. Number one, the number one attitude, the the first banner that you could raise up is the rebellious attitude. I also think of this as being like anybody who is anti, anti whatever, uh, people that are disaffected, they're marginalized from um, the mainstream. They are often seen as combative, but sometimes they can just be apathetic. Um, And here is how I think of their inner monologues going. Don't tell me what to do or how to live. I'm fed up with this establishment. I'm going to tear this world apart while I'm here. You can't hold me down. I'm not going to be abused anymore. It's me against you. It's me against the world. Nothing phases me. I'm stone cold. Okay, those are all the uh, the, mon- the inner monologues for rebellious attitude. And it could be like the nothing phases me means that you're really sort of, um, like I said, apathetic or stone cold. Or you could be like super um, angry in this rebellious attitude. So I would say, I mean, the genre of punk is like the whole point of punk is to be anti-establishment and rebellious. So I'm thinking the Ramones, I'm thinking Green Day, um, Blink-182 is sort of like the the Disney punk version. It's like the one that kind of lost its bite, but you know, Blink-182 would still be in there. Um, artists like Alanis Morissette could fit into this. And let me just say, artists will have more than one attitude, right? Like different songs might fit into one or two, you know, they might have like one or two categories that they uh, tend towards. Um, Billie Eilish, I totally get that from her. This sort of marginalized, I'm not going to play by the same rules as everybody else. Um, A lot of rap is based in this. Um, Pink, Liz Fair, No Doubt, um, Gwen Stefani as the lead singer of No Doubt, of course, Nirvana, The Who, The White Stripes, Um, even Miley Cyrus tries to get, you know, tries to have this kind of energy. 
Um, even though she started out Disney, she went super rebellious. Um, Nicki Minaj, same kind of thing. Okay. They are the selling that I am against the world. There's a combativeness in what they're doing. And as we go on, you'll kind of see how, how I'm, I'm categorizing these people and you are going to think of other people coming to mind, of course. Number two, attitude, the seductive attitude, sensuous, using sex or sexiness to sell. It's sort of in everything they're, they do, there's a feeling of an awareness of their body and s- seducing you. So the inner monologue would be, aren't I irresistible? Don't you want to go into that back room with me? I know what you look like under those clothes. A little flirting never hurt anybody. I'm beautiful. I'm sexy. Everybody wants me. My body feels amazing. Like this is all a part of the seductive attitude. Here are the people that I think would fit this. Madonna, for sure. Britney Spears, Jennifer Lopez, Ariana Grande. You see, these are all women who perform and they use their sexuality and their sensuality as part of their, um, their performance persona. Okay. Also like George Michael has that in, in the way that he performs and sings Adam Levine of, um, Maroon five is very sexy in all of his performing the Rolling Stones, like Mick Jagger, all of his body movements and the way that his like mouth and tongue and all of that move when he's singing, um, Aerosmith, the lead singer is Steven Tyler. Oh my gosh. So like, so sensual when he's performing. And so like he's undressing every girl in the audience. And when he looks at them a little bit um, of a throwback, Elvis would also be in this category, maybe a little bit more innocent than Steven Tyler, but still, you know, very based on his sex appeal is what he is using to sell his music. Um, Shania Twain from the country kind of category. So that is the seductive attitude. There are so many so many artists that are using this as their selling point. And when you perform this kind of song, um, I mean, you've got to have an awareness of your body. You've got to look like your, um, like your body feels amazing while you're singing, like you're in your skin and you love being there. So that's the additional stuff. You're not just going to go in and sing Toxic by Britney Spears. You have to be like embodying the whole spirit of who she is as an artist. All right. Number three, attitude for rock music or pop music. The let's party slash life is good attitude. Some artists just, they're just the the life of the party. They get up on stage and they just want to like make you dance. They look, everything is positive in this world. It's just about good vibrations and let's get along and let's just be in the moment together. They may also like be attractive and sexy and all that, but that's not at the core of what they're doing. What the core of what they're doing is like getting everybody to clap their hands and have so much fun. So their inner monologue would be like, let's party isn't this amazing and fun? This music is groovy. I'm going to get you dancing on the dance floor. Let's just love each other. Life is good. Our whole lives are ahead of us. Negative vibes need not apply. Who fits into this category? Cher. Cher fits into this category. Oh, you just want to like get out on the dance floor when you hear her music. James Brown. 
oh man, the whole category of like funk music and disco music is very much in the let's party, let's groove, let's feel good um, attitude. Shaka Khan, also in that funk dance category. Whitney Houston. See, Whitney Houston is a pop artist and an amazing singer. And you might put her in the same, um, you know, the same category as um, Britney Spears and J-Lo and Ariana Grande. But Whitney Houston had sort of a, a purity to how she performed. Like she was beautiful and attractive and all of that. But what she used as the basis for many of her songs was the upbeat and the positive and life is full of optimism, which is kind of sad because she was a really sad person later in her life. Um, And I think some of her other songs will go into other attitudes as you'll hear them in a moment. Um, Also, the Jonas Brothers. Okay, Jonas Brothers definitely fall into the seductive attitude as well. But I'm thinking of that um, Cake by the Ocean song, which is not actually the Jonas Brothers. It's one of the brothers. It's that his band's called Dance or something like that. Anyway, um, they, a lot of their stuff, especially Disney oriented stuff um, or Disney time period stuff is very fun and poppy and boppy, high energy, lots of smiles, really um, just dance oriented. I would also put, so kind of going in a different direction, Ellie Goulding. Now, Ellie Goulding, it's like um, dance and electronic, but so like very positive and just in the moment. Katy Perry, I would put in this category. Um, Walk the Moon, that Shut Up and Dance With Me song. Oh gosh, it's just like, we're not selling sex here. We're also not being rebellious. We're just like, hey, everybody, let's just have fun. I love you so much. And I want to dance with you. Yeah. Um, Jack Johnson is in this category. And he's sort of more like that laid back surfer guitar guy. Ooh, Jason Mraz would also be in this category, throwing it back a little bit with Jason. You're going to find lots, lots of people in this, in this vibe. Okay. Anything that's oriented towards like groovy music and dance oriented music in whatever um, era. Okay. So that could be like dance and electronic contemporary, or it might be like funk and disco in the seventies. All right. Category number four, attitude four. I call this attitude the sage. The sage is mystical. The sage is ethereal. They're wise they're experienced, they're channeling the cosmos. So who comes to mind? Like you're not going to sing a share song like you're a wise, mystical sage, okay? You're not going to sing a Ramones song <laughs> or, um, I mean, Nirvana, he might, you know, Kurt Cobain actually might kind of border that, but you're not going to sing a Green Day song like that. However, Alanis Morissette sort of moved more towards this category. So let's go into it a little bit more. Some of the inner monologues you might hear. Open your mind to a higher vibration. I've been to the great beyond and I'm coming back with a message. I'll put a spell on you. Drugs are the path to enlightenment. Listen up or we're all doomed. There is a higher power that we can commune with. I will lift you up. There's hope. So these are the people that are getting us to see beyond ourselves, 
to see into a more spiritual realm and to like commune more with humanity as a whole. I would put inspirational and gospel music in this category for sure. But you could also put like psychedelia in this um, category from the 70s. So somebody like Stevie Nicks from Fleetwood Mac. Stevie Nicks has that whole like witch identity and like the the dresses with the long, the huge bell sleeves and the fringe and all that. And she's, you know, it's very much about sort of that, that drugged up reality. Okay. Um, that mysticism, Jefferson airplane, same thing. Slightly different would be Bob Marley again, like smoking weed, definitely part of his identity, but also like Rastafarianism is a religion and that's what he was promoting, you know, love amongst everybody. Um, someone more contemporary Florence and the machine definitely has that energy. There's just like, it's like they become a channel or like they're, they're in, they're in a trance while they're singing. Sometimes I would also put, um, Bob Dylan in this category and Bob Dylan is like folk songwriter. And I think many folk songwriters could go into this. I think there's another category. Um, number five actually would, uh, no, sorry. Number six would be appropriate for them. But Bob Dylan has a lot of like, Hey, everybody, you better listen up. Otherwise we're all going down the drain here. And he has a lot of wisdom and looking at current events and sort of taking a step back and giving you like a poetic summation of what's going on at that historical moment that that like sits with you and kind of rocks your spirit. In total contrast, Radiohead, electronic, um, you know, electric guitars and keyboards, and it's, you know, very different than Bob Dylan. But again, there's this like this sense that they're at this other spiritual level and they're seeing something else about the world that that we're not seeing. In the gospel category, Aretha Franklin you know, those kinds of songs that she did. She also has some really like upbeat, fun, you know, Motown kind of style pieces, which might might be in the more like life of the party category. But Aretha Franklin, Jennifer Hudson. I mean, when Jennifer sings, it's like she's going to preach to you while she's singing. So the preaching kinds of songs, the teaching kinds of songs. I'm thinking of um, Motormouth Maybell, is that her name? From Hairspray. The song that she sings at the end, that's like her gospel moment. Let me just tell you where I've been. Yeah, I think that's the name of the song, where I've been. So that is the sage attitude, channeling the cosmos, mythical, why, mystical, not mythical, (laughs) wise and experienced. Number five. Okay, this is number five is the dramatic attitude. I also think of this as being epic, ripped from the heart. There's elements of spectacle. Everything is huge and over the top um, and it can move towards the campy, you know, like I'm, I'm so over the top that it's kind of becoming ridiculous and funny. Some artists just operate at, you know, they need a stadium to be their stage. That's how much energy and how much charisma is just coming off of that's like how many pyrotechnics and the the fire and the glitter and the confetti and the balloon, you know, all of the stuff, all of the, the projections and the fog machines, like it's, it's epic and it's dramatic. The inner monologues of these artists, the world is my stage, the bigger, the better. Oh my God, my skin is on fire with emotional intensity. Bring on the fog and wind machines. 
I need to sing as high and loud as I can to fully express how I feel. I live for songs of epic proportions. Okay, now if you think of somebody like Bob Dylan, that's not his underlying current. And that isn't Jennifer Hudson's either. Or who else have we put on here? Um, Diana Ross and the Supremes. They're not that over the top. They have, those all have different energies and different attitudes that they embody. But this person, this artist is like Lady Gaga or Muse. Oh my gosh. Muse has some amazing songs, super high intensity. And they are just like, if it's a scale of one to 10, they're at 15 on their energy and on their charisma and their drama. Um, I would put Celine Dion in this category. She just is always telling you the most heartbreaking story from her heart, right? And it's so over the top. Um, Meatloaf, taking it back a little bit. If you know Meatloaf, um, I would do anything for love. That video, oh my gosh, it's a whole like opera within that one video. I would also put Jessie J in this category. She is over the top. I think she also walks into that like life of the party, you know, attitude as well. Um, but she's also pretty epic and she's pretty huge and like wants to sing high and loud and give you all the riffs. You got to have a lot of um, like when you go in and audition with these pieces, you've got to have so much grounding and so much confidence that you, that you just fill up the entire space. Like you have to be able to fill up the entire space with your energy. If you're going to sing any of these songs, if you bring in, oh, I would also put Demi Lovato in this category. Her songs are all at such a high intensity. Again, if the level is one to 10, she's at a 15. She's giving, she's ripping her heart out and putting it in front of you. Okay. Now she will span other categories as well but she is high drama in some of her stuff. If you are any of these people, if you're singing these songs, you're going to come in and sing a Jesse J tune or a Lady Gaga tune, or even Celine Dion, like you better be able to fill up this entire space with your energy during that song. It's not just about the notes you're going to sing. It's just, it's not just about whether you can give me a riff or vocal fry on a certain phrase and like, Ooh, that's so pop. Yeah, it is pop, but are you owning it because it's your worldview and because it's the banner that you're holding up saying, this is me. That's what you have to embody. Number six, the confession or connection attitude. These are the artists that are honest. It's about intimacy with the listener. Their songs are sincere. They're from the heart. It's about taking off the glitz and the glamour and the artifice and saying, look at who I really am. These songs I would say tend to be, um, I mean, you can be this artist and have a full band and all of that, but a lot of them tend to be the singer songwriter types. It's just like them and a piano or them and a, a guitar. The inner monologues that's going through your mind as you sing this is I'm an open book. I'm not hiding anything. I will not wear a mask and I will not put up a wall between us. I'm telling you the good parts and the bad parts of myself. I want to understand each other. Singing heals me. Let's heal the world. And then slightly different idea here. I have a secret to tell you. It's like I'm letting you in on my inner world. So this whole 
you know, the real, the real deep inside reality of my life that I don't share with everybody, I'm going to tell you in this song. So you can even see, like hear it in the way that I'm talking, that sincere, honest intimacy. That's this confession style attitude. And the people that do this, I would say like the classic songwriters like Joni Mitchell and James Taylor, both from the seventies and beyond everybody that was a singer songwriter from that area. And I would say Bob Dylan does this as well, though. I don't think Bob Dylan, you're really connecting with his spirit. I think he is also always sort of a performer that's detached. Um, you're not really getting his inside emotion, but that's just my own personal assessment of him because I'm obsessed with Bob Dylan. So Tori Amos gives us this now Tori Amos. I mean, if you're a fan of her like nineties stuff, I mean, that was huge. I would, I would say like her biggest time period was the nineties, but she's still making music now. She can go dramatic ripped from the heart. You know, she can go like epic, but really it's about peeling back the layers. And I think that's what you've got to figure out is this artist, is this song about peeling back the layers and taking off the mask. And I think all of what Tori Amos does is about that. Um, Coldplay. Oh man. Sure, they've got like some of their big arena upbeat kind of songs, but everything comes from such a heartfelt place for them. And while like Chris Martin might be attractive, he's not really using his sexiness as the main element of his songs. It's not just like, let's party, even though they have some up stuff. Everything is pretty, it's pretty like a diary, like a journal, like Oh, I'm just being so honest about what my heart is feeling. That's what I get from Coldplay. Ani DeFranco, love her. Ingrid Michaelson, again, from that songwriter energy. Damien Rice, um, The Civil Wars. God, I love The Civil Wars. I know some people are starting to sing like Barton Hollow by them, but um, Civil Wars would be in there. And Demi Lovato, some of her ballads. And then even like Jesse J, Who You Are, that's a song that's in this category, but even when she sings it, it's at such a level 15 <laughs> with her commitment to it. It still kind of goes into like epic confessional, but whatever. So category six is confessional connection attitude. Um, I'm sure you can think of a million other artists that fit into this category just from the description that I've given you. Okay, that completes these banners, these attitudes that I'm talking about. And, you know, it all comes back to like, how do you get this into your audition, right? Like, how do you get that girl auditioning from Rent singing Barracuda? How do you get her to have the right attitude and the right undercurrent of worldview behind that? Well, that's what it, it comes to you doing the work as an artist and looking up you know, who, who was that band? Like what was heart about who wrote that song? What was their upbringing? What was going on in the world? Like you've got to do all the stuff you would do for a character and read the play and do the character analysis, but you have to do that for the band. So the play that you're reading is the historical time they lived in. And the character analysis is looking at their history and how they grew up and the other people that they hung out with so that you can then step into being heart. I will say that I think people have certain attitudes that they're going to connect with as a performer. And while yes, like people say you want to be diverse, you don't want to just be able to sing Ariana Grande songs and that's it. Um, 
you're going to have certain modalities that you exist in the most naturally. Cause that's the whole, you know, it's the whole stinking point of what I'm talking about is that we become this unique set of personality traits and we're going to live and identify with certain, you know, people and we're going to connect with them. So what is that? Are you somebody that gets up on stage and you're just like on fire and you want to, you know, have the sparkliest sequin jumpsuit on and you want the fog going behind you and you're just like, is that you? Are you that epic, dramatic attitude? Or when you get up there, do you just want like, I just want everybody to be having a good time. I just want to be dancing. I don't, I can be wearing my jeans. I can be wearing my, you know, it doesn't have to be like huge show outfit. It's more just about everybody grooving. Or are you about just like, given that middle finger to the man. And when you get up there, you just want to like share like how disappointed you are with the world and how you're not going to buy into it and you're not going to support that and you're doing something different. Because that tells you, I mean, that's going to tell you how to sing vocally. Like if, if you're in that rebellious category, one of the ways it comes out is through this kind of nasal feel and more straight tone when you're singing instead of letting like that ringy vibrato come out. And so when you're doing like a spring awakening audition for a guy in spring awakening, you want that straight tone kind of nasal pop punk thing. Very different if you're trying to inspire somebody or seduce somebody. Okay. So anyway, that's my thought for today. That's sort of like a, I don't know, like kind of a, a heady idea to talk about, but this is the stuff that fascinates me. It's like, how do we get at the essence of singing pop and rock music. It's more than, even though like I just did a podcast about like how to sing in any style and it's about knowing your onset and your duration or your sustain and your release and like what are the different vocal isms you can do. That is all part of it. But there's also like a spirit to each song. There's a spirit to these artists that you have to embody. So I will be doing more work on this topic and talking about it on Instagram. And it's just an area that I'm really interested in. So I hope that that was helpful for you today. Okay, let's hear the takeaways. Number one, be yourself to the 100th degree. Dare to turn people off because the flip side of that is finding the people that see how perfect you are for their show. Number two, when we meet people with a similar worldview, we resonate with them on a vibrational level. Claim your identity and raise your banner high. When you do, your audience will be able to find you and resonate with you. Number three, pop artists become popular because they express an attitude and worldview that millions of young people can identify with. Number four, when you perform your rock audition, what's written on your banner? What worldview are you owning? Are you embodying the spirit of the artist? Number five, the six main attitudes of rock music span generations and genres. They are the rebel, the seductress, the life of the party, the sage, the epic, and the confessor. Try to find which categories you lean toward personally and sing the songs by those artists. Number six, when preparing a rock song, you've got to do all the same prep you do for a theater song. It's just that the play you're reading is the historical time they lived in, and the character analysis is diving into the life of that particular artist. Then you can step into their worldview and raise their banner when you sing their songs. 
If part of today's show resonated with you, or if you think someone else might really benefit from hearing it, would you please consider sharing this episode with them? Send them a link or send them a screenshot so they know where to find it. You can also share it on Instagram and tag me and I will tag you back. I love hearing um, your feedback and whether you find this information helpful. So go ahead and leave a review on Apple Podcasts um, or send me a DM at studying the song on Instagram or email me studying the song at gmail.com. I'm always looking for ways to improve what I'm talking about and make it more relevant to you. Also, remember, I'm going to be start featuring listener reviews at the beginning of every episode. So if you want to be considered, go ahead and leave that review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. I know you have a zillion other ways that you could be spending your time and it means so much that you chose to spend some of it here with me. I will see you next time on Studying the Song. Mm -hmm.